Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Boca Podcast listeners, good. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and say good Monday morning to you. I wish that we did a live show. And in fact, we may have to explore doing a live show occasionally because it's kind of fun. I'm actually recording this on a Monday morning and it's a great kickstart to my week because I have a, a brand new friend of mine. Rachel Griman with me. And Rachel, I, we actually jumped right into conversation before we even started recording, right? Sure did. <laughs> and, and actually, I want to get back to that because we have an outline of, of questions that we're going to get to. But the topic of Enneagram popped up and you, you talked about being a, a two. Can you explain a little bit about what you were saying at, the, at that point? Oh, yeah. It just came up because I was talking about how much of a verbal processor I am. And twos are very, very much verbal processors sometimes. And I'm not going to speak for all twos, but at least for myself, I can't. Sometimes I don't know what I think or feel about something Mm. until I talk about it, until I say it out loud. Well, and you had actually asked me if I was a verbal processor, and it was an interesting question. I I don't know if uh, somebody had quite posed the question to me that way before. I tend to process internally. I like the outlet of being able to process verbally, but maybe it's kind of a combination. I don't know what that means for the Enneagram. But the reason I wanted to bring this conversation back up, and it's something we've kind of touched on before in the podcast, and I think it's a fascinating one, not just for us as photography business owners, but just as human beings and continued development and growth. Um, that's growth is something that I is a value of mine. I want to I want to continue to get better. So I'm curious on this topic of of an enneagram, um, personality tests, etc. It seems as though I mean it, it, they're fun to talk about first of all, and it maybe kind of shines light on some of the struggles that we have, some of the things that we're trying to refine about ourselves, some of the questions that we have about ourselves. But I wonder too, how much do you think taking a test like that can also in a sense, box us in. Because I, I know as human beings, we have a tendency of wanting to try to find an answer to something. And so mm-hmm. if somebody else says to us or something says to us, you are this, it's like, oh, and it's kind of a relief, kind of mm-hmm. like almost like going to a therapist and, and getting an answer or something that we've been curious about for a long time. But then it's also easy to stop there and say, okay, well, I am, you know, fill in the blank. I am a, a number two or I am right. a this thing or that thing. And then just stop there and let that thing kind of define who we are, continue to behave mm-hmm. that way and not consider the possibility that we aren't necessarily that thing, that we have the opportunity to essentially be what we want to if we choose to, and that there is opportunity for change or improvement or otherwise. I know this is a loaded topic, but I'm curious <laughs> to get your take on this. Well, it's interesting you say that because I make not make, I ask every single one of my copywriting clients to take the Enneagram because I find that good writing and writing for yourself becomes a lot more feasible when you know who you are that you're writing about. Mm. So if people come to me and they don't really have a sense of who they are, it's really difficult to create a brand voice. Can I ask you before you keep going, when you say know who you are, what does that mean? Like, do you explain that, break that, that phrase down for your, for your clients? Yeah. I mean, there's several ways to know who you are, but I think a big one is knowing what makes you different. I think that people talk about that a lot in branding. And if you can't explain to me in a brief paragraph, what makes you different from the person down the street that does exactly what you do, Mm. then why would anybody ever hire you? Uh Aha. 
So if you can't say that about yourself, nobody yeah. else is going to be able to say it about you. Ah, uh, that's interesting. Okay, well, you know what? This is this is too good a segue not to take it. Um, we'll leave the conversation about enneagrams and personality <laughs> alone, and maybe leave that question in the air of you know yeah. what that means for defining ourselves versus realizing our a tendency or a preference that we might have, but then exploring the possibility of growing beyond that. I think it's a right. it's a loaded topic, and I'm not a right. psychologist to be clear. <laughs> I just exactly. think- me either, and that was going to be my point. I'm not a therapist, and I definitely. I think that personality tests, any personality test can box you in and taken too literally. I don't think that they're helpful. But what I do think is that when you connect with one and I personally just connect really well with Enneagram, I think that it is extremely helpful in building empathy, not only for yourself and for the weaknesses that you find, but also in the people that you really care about. It gives you a common language to talk about why you're responding a certain way or why you had a certain reaction. So rather than boxing me in, I felt like it's opened a lot of doors, especially in my marriage, to build empathy, kind of bridges toward one another that we would not be able to come up with on our own because we're so different. Hmm, interesting. You know, I'm supposed to do dinner with my girlfriend tonight. This might be an interesting, uh, like we may have to take the test together. I'm sure it'll generate some interesting conversation. Oh yeah, I highly recommend it. I personally love the one on enneagraminstitute.com. It's $12, pay the $12. The free ones tend to not be as accurate, but the results, like the text that you get from your results, I mean, you could spend date nights for the next year going through it together. Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm literally writing this down as you speak, <laughs> enneagraminstitute.com. Um, I am, I'm at least curious and, and uh, I'm sure it'll generate some interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you kind of letting us start on a um, like off the outline note, but I do want to <laughs> take that segue that you set us up for a second ago and talk about what makes you different? What makes your brand different? We talk about brand position here a lot at the, the podcast. It's not a phrase to use a lot in our industry. So there's a lot of confusion, I think, about what it actually means. Um, but I'm curious, very simply, to get your take on what your photography business's brand position is. And by the way, I should mention, um, and we'll go ahead and set you up here and do a little mini intro. Rachel is not only a photographer, but a copywriter. We're going to actually get into the topic of copy and more specifically, less copy. I, I really can't wait to to get to that here in a second later on in the show. But you are your website is greenchairstories.com. Instagram, same thing, just like it sounds. And we'll link to both in the show notes at Boca, B-O-K-E-H, podcast. Dot com. You're based in Philly uh, with mm-hmm. your lovely family, including a, a very beautiful dog, by the way. I, I'm, I'm a little <laughs> jealous. I, I'm looking forward to getting another dog in the near future. But you have both a photography business and a copywriting business. So talk to us about brand position, if you don't mind, for, for yeah. both brands. What sets you apart from the next photographer? What sets you apart from the next copywriter? Sure. So my brand position is very similar for both. But for photos, I always say that I capture the unbelievably ordinary moments that parents miss every day. Mm. I show people what makes themselves and their family special, even when they can't see it. And then a big one is I get moms in the photos doing what they do best running the show. But I have to jump in here and say, I like the simplicity and the brevity again. And and I know I stress this on when we get to this topic on the podcast, um, but it's easy. And of course, this is totally relevant to our later conversation. It's easy to get carried away with paragraphs of text trying to explain what we do or what our brand stands for. But I, I would venture, and, and I'm curious to get your take on this again later as well, but I would venture that if we get too wordy, then there's a chance that maybe we don't quite even have that message refined enough. What do you think? Oh, yeah. And 
to be frank, if you get too wordy in your copy, nobody's going to read it. Yes. And, and that's you know what? the bottom line. It yeah. You can <laughs> have some of the most eloquent thoughts yeah. and something that is really meaningful to you. But if it just visually looks like a lot of text, mm. people are just not going to read it. Yep. That's not your fault. It's just the way it is. It's a cultural thing. Yeah. And we'll get to that yeah. here in a bit. Um, I, I almost want to jump in right now, but it's a loaded topic. We'll go there in a second. But I, I just wanted to say I love the brevity of the communication of that brand position. And by the way, there are thousands of photographers out there. So when we talk about creating a unique brand position, it is going to be particularly challenging in 2019 to do that. It's a very, very crowded market. Part of what will enable us to do that, or at least present our brand in a different light, is the actual copy that we use, the wording, the description itself. Um, Absolutely. Will you, will you repeat that phrase one more time? I capture the unbelievably ordinary moments that parents miss every day. Right. Okay. So now when I hear that... And what I mean by there are different ways to word this, or shall we say frame that message, mm-hmm. that in and of itself can can set us apart from the way that somebody else is saying, you know, for example, somebody can say, I'm a lifestyle photographer. And a lot of photographers right. would just kind of stop there. But the way that you've communicated this idea, it, it paints a very vivid picture and a slightly different picture than just saying, I'm a lifestyle photographer. A lot of people, potential clients, don't know what that means. But when Absolutely. you say, I capture... Not only the ordinary moments, but the unbelievably ordinary moments. Right. People are like, oh, yeah. And, and, and it gives an opportunity to actually walk them through what that means and then, of course, actually provide that finished product. So I have to give you props for that. It's a really great uh, summation. Thanks. What about the copywriting side of your business? So the copywriting side of my business, it's very similar. Like the next line of my photography brand position is I show people what makes themselves and their family special, even when they can't see it. And Mm. that's my copywriting business too. I come into people's businesses and I ask them really ordinary questions about themselves. Tell me about your family. Tell me about the way you were raised. Tell me about the first time you photographed. And just through hearing their stories, like their actual stories, not the way we use it in the cliche word, like in the cliche kind of meaning that we've given it in photography, but hearing them talk about the first time that they used a camera or their relationship with their mom, it really just helps me pull out not only the way that they talk and like the tempo and the words that they use, but what is significant to them. And sometimes you can't, you're not going to know what that is until somebody asks you the right question. And yeah. if nobody's ever asked you, you might not know. Yes. So that's kind of my job is just pulling that out of you and kind of holding a mirror to you and being like, hey, you just said this seven times in an hour. <laughs> so, I don't know if you know this, but this is probably pretty important to your business. Do so, you feel like you're playing like therapist at times? Oh, yeah, all the time. I don't know that I would make a good therapist, but <laughs> it certainly feels like I am one sometimes. Yeah. And that's, I get that feedback a ton from people. But again, it's literally just holding a mirror. I don't necessarily, I mean, yes, I do feel like I'm good at my job, but I also think it's just giving somebody an hour to talk about themselves, kind of like therapy. Like it just feels good sometimes to like not have expectation on yourself to say, oh, and how are you doing? You know, it just kind of gives someone the time and space to talk about themselves and to really suss out how they feel. Hmm. That's interesting. Can you give me an example of a, just one of the questions that you might ask one of your copywriting clients to be kind of begin that conversation? My first question in my questionnaire is tell me the three most important events that shaped your life. Ooh. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's going to yeah. open up a three hour conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just from that, it's, 
if they're the three most important events, Hmm. how can they not inform either in how you felt or grew from them? How can they not inform who you are now and the person that shows up to photograph? Because I should mention, I am a copywriter for wedding photographers. That is almost exclusively my clientele. Okay. And so I am writing for people who are showing up on a wedding day to spend 12 hours with someone. So their brand is a lot of who they are and how they act. Huh. I, you know, this is this is an interesting thing to consider, though, for wedding. When you talk about wedding photographers, a lot of times, and I shot weddings for over 10 years, there's a in, kind of an interview process, right? We're asking our mm-hmm. clients questions about themselves, their wedding day, ultimately. It would be interesting to consider approaching that process in a bit more thoughtful manner in a way that would enable you to get to know your clients a little bit more effectively by, as you pointed out earlier, asking the right questions. Oh yeah, absolutely. And at the end, when you asked me to go over some things, that's definitely in there. Huh? Okay. Well, we'll get to that here in just a second. Thanks for starting us off with that. Talk to me about your experience as a business owner. And first of all, if you'll just give context to this conversation, how long have you been in business for yourself? I started full time for myself five years ago. Okay. So five years. And, and by the way, you're about to kind of get over that five year, that notorious five year hump. So kudos mm-hmm. to you for that. But what is, what's one of the big lessons that you've learned? What, what would be the first lesson you'd share with a fellow photographer if you had the opportunity to share that with them? Everyone else made it up so you can do. <laughs> ah, I love this. Okay. Ex- explain what you mean, please. Well, every single time I'm learning something, I try to go, you know, to the Facebook groups, to other forums, to books, and every single successful person made it up. They just tried it and they saw if it worked. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. And everybody talks about failure being the biggest catalyst to growth and all of that. And it's all true. And I just don't think that there's a path. And you can read as much as you want and learn as much as you want, but until you put it into practice and test it in your market with what you do, you're never going to know. Hmm. Wow. You know, and this is interesting because it seems like these days there's a tendency for photographers to just kind of see what the so-called industry celebrities are doing and just follow suit as opposed to maybe just experimenting for themselves, as you're pointing out. I, the thing that I always, you know, people say, oh, you're such a great business owner or this or that, the compliments that I'll get. And I'm like, I, honestly, I don't really know that much. I, Google's a great tool. <laughs> right, right. Um, because there's, there is so much information out there for the taking. You can take that information and then, as you pointed out, begin to experiment, begin to actually do. And oh, there, yeah. you will, there will be failures. I mean, I've, that, and failures is kind of an almost cliche word these days. There, you will have experiences where something works or something doesn't work. And then, of course, the challenge at that point is not to let that get you down so much, but to continue to iterate and to prove and to experiment and to right. do something different. And I, I will say something I didn't do nearly as much as I should for the longest time that I began to put into practice as a business owner more recently is is actually using data to make mm-hmm. intelligent or informed decisions. And I think we have the opportunity, even for sole proprietors, to, to do something mm-hmm. like that using QuickBooks. And, and actually using analytics for our site and looking at the way that clients or potential clients are interacting with us and making intelligent decisions based on data, numbers. Um, right, there's something to be right. said for that. But at the end of the day, we have to give something a shot. If it works, great. If not, as I just was talking to my son about this yesterday or just the other day, course correct. It's not a big deal. You didn't so-called failed right. or fail. You just you, It didn't work in that particular scenario. So go do something different. Exactly. And we as photographers are creative. So it 
kind of pains me to see such creative people get themselves stuck in on this path of following ev- what everybody else has done. Huh. I, I think we allow creativity in our work, but not in our business. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes we can make. There's a reason that we're given that side of our brains. And I think it's okay to do things that some other business owners would say even is a bad idea. It might work for you. It might work for your yeah. clients. That's yeah. okay. Well, and, and you know, I, I understand the kind of fight or flight mentality that we can get into at times when we're like, oh, shoot, I need to actually pay my bills. So I've got to get a client here. And, and there's a desperation mode. And I understand what it's like to be in that mode. But otherwise, you know, I just heard something, I think maybe on a podcast I was listening to over the last couple of days, but, but somebody said, I enjoy problem solving. Mm-hmm. I enjoy looking at this as a, as a problem to solve and, and almost that idea of sitting with that, being okay with, okay, here's a problem to solve. I don't quite know the answer, but then to your point, Rachel, getting creative, coming up with a creative solution for that, taking that on as an enjoyable challenge. I think it's something that we all need to, myself included, that we all need to do a lot more. That's really, really good. Talk to me about finding free time. I mean, your family and business are both going to take up a lot of time on a day-to-day basis. How do you balance both? Uh, and I say balance kind of loosely here because I know it's very subjective, but how do you make time for yourself, for your family, and also run a business effectively? Yeah, I am not great at this. <laughs> so I am big on honesty and I'm not going to be somebody that says, you know, I'm really good at turning, you know, shutting the laptop at 5 p.m. Because I'm not. It's <laughs> sure. just I'm not good at it, especially in this season. I have a one-year-old and that it just takes a lot of time to have little kids. And I just have one. I don't know why I said kids. <laughs> it takes a lot of time to have one baby. Sure. But I did one thing that I have started doing in the past, I don't know, six months, not quite. Um, it's really important for me to wake up before she does. Hmm. And I... I hope other moms don't hate me for this, but she sleeps really, really well. And she does not wake up before 7 a.m. Nice. So I have, and for a long time, probably the first six months of her life, I was just taking all the sleep I could get and just waking up whenever she did. And when we moved to Philly at the beginning of the year, I just made a decision, you know, I really need that hour before she gets up to just, I need for no one to need me (laughs) for this hour. So I either go for a walk or a run or I work or sometimes I just do dishes and listen to a podcast. But starting the day without meeting anyone else's needs is really important and sets a tone. Huh. Yeah. And I noticed that because you, you commented, I think there's uh, in the video on the homepage of your site uh, mm-hmm. or, or maybe on the about section actually of your site. And again, for those of you listening, and if you go to greenchairstories.com, you can see this, but there's a little mini documentary. Yeah. On the about page, I'm, I'm there now. And, yeah. and, and it talks about you getting up at 530 every morning Right. This was, this was pre-kids. <laughs> that yeah. video is outdated. <laughs> well, but regardless, whether it's 5.30 or 6 or otherwise, right, you're getting up right. earlier. And, and you mentioned starting with work, but you just also included going out for a run or just doing dishes. Yeah. It, is, it seems like it would be nice to, if, especially if you're getting up that early, to start with a clear head and not have to sit in front of the computer in Lightroom, for example. Right, right. And I used to do that all the time, just get up and start working. But now it's different. I, I really... I, do not really work until she goes to the nanny at like 9am. That's so nice. Yeah, that, it is. It is. I need that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for those of you listening in, if, if you feel like the moment you're getting up, you're reaching for that phone and you're into work, set the phone on the other side of the room, put it in a different, in fact, my kids and I have kind of created a certain amount of accountability and we have this, this charging station in the kitchen 
So at this point, usually the phones go in the charging station in the kitchen. So there's, I don't have easy access to that phone in the morning and neither do they actually. And so, yeah, starting the day in that way and and doing something besides reaching for the phone and jumping right into work, I think it's a great place for our mental health for sure. Yeah. Or social media. Like that's a bad habit of mine too. Like just rolling over and opening up whatever app just because my brain isn't on yet. It's like, who wants to start their day feeling less than or feeling like they didn't have as good of a day as the people on Instagram did yesterday? I don't know. That's a bad habit for me too. Oh, no. And I'm I'm certainly guilty of it as well. So I totally get it. That's a great piece of advice. Talk to us about, um, speaking of advice and learning Mm -hmm. and growing, what what is one of the most impactful business or self-help books that you've had the opportunity to read or listen to? I read a lot. Especially used to before I had a child, but I think the most impactful one recently has probably been Essentialism oh, by yeah. I think it's Greg McCowan. Is yes. that how you say his name? Um, uh, but I have to admit, I listened to it on audio, which was a terrible decision because <laughs> I kept wanting to like market or write something down. And I had like a twenty-minute drive one day, and I was listening to it. I literally pulled over six different times to stop and pull out my phone and take some notes, and it was just not a great use of time. <laughs> So if you were going to buy this book, like buy the book. Yes. Because listening to it, at least for me, I can't process it the way that I want to. Yeah, that's a great point. I like the convenience of audiobooks, but and and I'll turn it on like because usually the the person reading the book, a business book, for example, they'll be reading it relatively slow. So I'll bump it up to like one and a half X. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's moving quickly. And I'm like, oh, good concept, good concept. But then I'm driving. So I as you said, you can't like write something down and make yeah. note of that. And I think to to our earlier conversation, there's something to be said. I know it can be challenging for various personalities and for various reasons, but to sit, even if for for like five minutes or 10 minutes each day, take the time to hold, whether it's a physical book or a Kindle in your hand, look Mm -hmm. at the words, process them, even if it's two or three pages at a time, if you feel like you've got short attention span and take the time to sit in that and to take it in and to process it, to take a couple of notes and then actually apply it as opposed to that tendency that we all have just consuming tons and tons of content and not actually doing anything with it. So that's a great piece of advice. And it also linked to that. uh, We'll link to that book in the show notes, Essentialism. It makes me, it reminds me of my friend, uh, Sean Austin with Kiss Books. This is a book that he's talked about quite a bit. And uh, It's, it's excellent. It's very, very good. Oh, that's good. We'll link to that in the show notes. Thank, thank you for that. What's the most unusual item in your camera bag that enables you to be a better photographer? And I know I say this a lot in the podcast, but it doesn't have to be a camera or a flash or a lens. It could be, literally be anything. What comes to mind? Snacks. <laughs> All right. You got to be specific. What kind of snacks? I usually have like a Larabar lame, I know. Or like I get those little mini packages of peanut butter because if I'm hungry, I am like grumpy and uncreative yeah. and... I have to, I have to have food when I'm shooting, especially because the way that I shoot, I photograph family for six to 12 hours. So I'm with them all day long. So usually I'll like pack a whole lunch and like a whole meal, but yeah, food gotta be food. When you say the packages of peanut butter, is that like the little ones that you see at the diners that you can spread on your toast or like like the Justin's they're like little buy them in the grocery store. Okay. I literally just squeeze them into my mouth. All right. So, but you love peanut butter. What else do you put peanut butter on? This is an interesting topic because this is something that I grew up like we put peanut butter on cinnamon toast and coffee cake and pancakes and waffles. And like, do you put oh, it stuff too? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not like for somebody who eats peanut butter straight, I wouldn't say I'm like a huge peanut butter person. Okay. I just find like I ate paleo for a really long time, yeah. which 
I do not anymore. Okay. For anyone that follows me on Instagram, they will know that I do not eat paleo. But I just got used to those kind of snacks, like high fat, high protein, yep. you know, bro, that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, at the least, they can be pretty filling, though, which is helpful. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's like a, an easy way and portable. So, but yes, that's, that's what awesome. I pack always. Well, let's let's get into this topic of copy. I, I actually have at least a tentative title here at the top of my screen. Less is more, stand out with less website copy. We may refine that before we actually release this. But the idea here is the significance of saying less on our websites. Because um, I'm going to be a bit frank in this conversation too. I've I've just I've looked at so many photographers' websites, particularly in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. and I've seen so much just rambling on and on about themselves, largely about whatever, ironically, because we just talked about it, whatever favorite food or drink that they have. Um, And and that's largely because they're doing what we were talking about earlier. They're kind of following whatever the industry leader is doing at the time. But there's just, there's a ton of copy. And as you pointed out earlier, Rachel, our eyes in these 2019, or in this 2019 culture tend to glaze over if if something takes more than three to five seconds to read. Oh, yeah. And I, I think it's a bit self-indulgent, but I, it ultimately gets in the way of us reaching a potential client. So I want to get into this a little bit, but I, I want to give context to the conversation too. Small talk is fine, but we're, you're actually speaking from experience. Talk to us a little bit about your background as a copywriter. Sure. So since the beginning of my professional career, before I was on my own, I've always been both a copywriter and a photographer at the same time. Okay. At the end of college, I had an internship in Uganda for seven months wow. where I wrote stories and photographed for a nonprofit. It's actually where I met my husband. Whoa. Yeah. And that turned into several nonprofit jobs for like the beginning of my professional career. I worked for probably four or five different nonprofits, both doing writing and photography. Okay. And then when I decided to pursue my own business full time, um, I left the nonprofit world. I still did some like freelance writing, but I was focusing on photography, specifically families. And I was in all these groups on Facebook, you know, the ones where everybody goes when they start, you know, to ask all the questions and everyone's asking every question under the sun about running a business, how to make it work, what people did, what accountant they use. Um, And I kept seeing frustration come up for people when they would try to write their website or especially their about page. So I felt like that was the only question I was qualified to answer because I was at the very beginning of my business. So I just started commenting and helping people figure out, you know, pretty quickly. And it was very rudimentary, but trying to help people figure out what they were trying to say on their site and boil it down with them. And then eventually people started you know, sliding into my inbox, asking me like to pay me to write their websites. And that was like three or four years ago. And so I started, you know, developing that side of my business and putting a system and process to it the same way that I already had in place for photos. And then I started studying copywriting to sell because I had only been a copywriter to fundraise Hmm. up until that point. And so I started learning a ton about it and I was copywriting for other photographers and I've written about a hundred sites, I think since then. Wow. Yeah. So my business at this point is like 50, 50 photography, copywriting. What would you say you were talking about finding your voice earlier, um, Mm -hmm. communicating who you are, what's the difference between communicating your voice or not even the difference, the balance, I guess, between communicating your voice and your heart, who you are and saying too much. And, And just to give a little bit further context too. 
Um, it, you and I were, were chatting before I hit the record button. I told you I have a tendency of kind of over communicating, particularly on this mm-hmm. podcast. I do it for a couple of reasons. One, I, I want to make sure that the idea, the concept has been communicated in, in a, I guess, a wide enough or cover a wide enough uh, realm of preferences and communication style. Maybe, maybe that's if, if that makes any sense mm-hmm. for the end consumer to understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying. So I'll say it one way, and then I'll say it a slightly different way. Maybe give a little bit of context, back it up with a story, uh, to make sure that the principle or the idea is communicated clearly enough. The other reason I'll communicate maybe in a bit of a verbose manner at times is to make sure that I'm also not coming across robotically because you'll hear certain interviewers on podcasts who like, you know, that they're not using that voice at home with their significant other. Like they go into a mode and it sounds a bit robotic and stiff. I want it to be very much conversational in nature. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I also know that I run the risk of saying too much. And then that gets in the way of especially attention span, as you were pointing out. So what's the balance between effectively communicating voice and heart and saying too much? Yeah, well, I think it's important to differentiate between you know, our attention spans are going to be much longer listening to something while we're driving than reading a website. So it's one thing to say too much verbally. It's another to write too much in text, because like I said, if it looks like a lot of text, it's way too much. Like I always call it a wall. If you open up a site and there's just a wall of text, that's all the same font, the same size with no headlines to break it up or nothing for the skimmers, people just are going to skip it. And copywriters say this often. I don't know where the origin is. I should probably look it up, but clear is better than clever. So don't, I always remind my clients that the point of their copy is not to be cute or creative. It, the point of it is really to be direct with who they are and what they provide. The cute and creative stuff, we can definitely slide in after that core message is communicated well. Ah, okay. But I always tell my clients that the magical formula for bookings is your personality plus what you do for the client. So like, if you're listening to this, go on your website and make sure what you do for the client is really, really clear. And then make sure your personality is padded in around it. Like, Think about it like a conversation with someone. If it's a site written entirely about you, there's no reason for them to feel compelled to hire you. What's in it for them? On the other hand, if it's just a list of services you provide, then it's kind of boring. So again, it's like having a conversation. You would never talk to someone you don't know and just make it all about yourself. So you wouldn't want to do that on your website either. You want to make it engaging. Yeah, but I want to go back to what you were saying, which is, I mean, this is so, so important. It, what is the value proposition? How are you actually adding value to that person's life? That is, that should be front and center. And, and to give those of you who are listening in and hearing me talk about brand position um, context a little bit, that is one of the main, if not the main benefits of having a clear and distinct brand position. There have been a few of our guests who've come on that actually have it right there on the front of their home page. Like you get to their site and it's there and it's clear and it's, and it's straightforward and it doesn't take a long time to read. How are you going to make this person's life better in the context of whatever it is, wedding photography or portrait photography or otherwise, your brand position that you shared earlier, Rachel, is so clear and distinct in that regard, but that should be the primary focus. How do I add value to this person's life? And then we'll talk about, you know, eating whatever the food is later on to be cute or or relevant or, or otherwise, but that should be the number one goal. And I'm so glad that you point that out. And what would you say, I mean, speaking of talking about food, because this just seems to be a thing and people are trying to be cute and relatable, but what are the potential drawbacks of of everybody kind of using the same template for their site over and over again? 
this is actually a really big pet peeve of mine. And I don't know where it came from. I mean, I think that templates are a good thing, especially if you don't feel super confident in your writing skills. I totally get buying someone's template and just plug and play, putting it in your site. I get that that's a reality. But to me, it just feels lazy, feels aggressive, but it's the only word coming to mind right now. <laughs> yeah, because I wanted to kind of push back on what you said just now. I mean, it's I understand the the benefit of getting a template and plug and play, but we're not talking about like this is a major first world problem, right? Like the idea right. that we have to sit down and actually spend an hour or two hours thinking about how we're going to communicate some ideas on our website. Of course, we have the benefit of someone like yourself who does it professionally that we can defer right. this effort to, but my goodness, make a little bit of an effort not to say the exact same phrases that, you know, 5,000 other photographers are saying on their site because it got popular all of a sudden. Well, and again, I think templates can be useful if you are willing to like switch it up and customize it a little bit to you. But I just feel like somewhere along the way, photographers decided that they just need to talk about all of their favorite things as if, you know, that creates a personality for them. Mm. Um, Like the TV shows that you watch and the tea you drink and the tacos you eat. Like that doesn't create a personality for you. It doesn't endear anyone to you. Hmm. It's totally okay to put that on your site if it's supporting the rest of the larger story. But I just don't, I think it makes sense less often than people think it does. And speaking of like the big story, I just think you should use them. Like people want to list out bullet pointed facts, which is great for skimmers for sure. But they're facts, they're not stories. You know, if you're going to go down that cheesy route of, I fell in love with photography in my high school darkroom, you know, you can say that, but tell us a story about it. You know, what did that darkroom look like? What did it feel like? What did it smell like? How did it change you? Why was it different in there than your science classroom was? You know, the power of story is what's going to sell people. Again, like we use stories all the time in conversation. So it's okay to tell them. Um, you just want to make sure it's all supporting the same main point and message. Well, and and let's all keep in mind, too, that we have a hard enough time taking the extra whatever it is, 15 seconds to read the copy on an Instagram mm-hmm. post. So if that's the reality and we know that's the case for for most people uh, and again, 2019 culture, it's just kind of our, our behavioral tendencies then why would we put paragraphs and paragraphs of text? So I understand the significance that you're explaining of, of a good story. I would actually push back a little bit here because we had a really great example of this actually back in episode 267 with Danielle Green and Connor Brogan um, from Layers Photo. They, and, and we'll link to this episode in the show notes, but they actually had a video of their story. And I, right. I feel like people would probably be more apt, if we're going to tell a story that's more than say a paragraph long, they'd be more apt to actually take the time to have or to, to watch that video because there's visual stimulation that goes along with it. And the music and the tone um, is at least more attention grabbing than reading paragraphs of text. What, what do you think? About oh that? yeah. I think that we are a lazy group. Of <laughs> like this seems we, to be a theme, Yeah, <laughs> but I'm definitely are, guilty. <laughs> yeah. Same. I am as well. And I don't, the thing about a good story is you don't need paragraphs and paragraphs. Okay. It can be short. But I I was going to support that statement of telling a story with break it up visually. If you're going to tell a story, you can put it in a slideshow with old photos and just have a sentence or two on each screen. And then they choose to scroll or not. So visually, it doesn't assault them right when they get to your page. If you're going to break it out, then you use 
headlines, subheads, different fonts, different texts. Like uh, obviously make sure it visually balances well. Okay. By any chance, do you have a website that we can link to somebody that, that whose website comes to mind that has done something like this or you've done oh, something yeah. like this for? I always say fair site is really good. Do you know fair? What, what's the URL? It's F-E-R-J-U-A-R-I-S-T-I. Dot com? Yep. Perfect. We'll link to that in the show notes. Okay. And he tells stories and it is so visually interesting. And the way he uses font, like it's not the most compelling design I've ever seen in my life, but it's different enough that I think people would take the time to at least read some of it. That's the other thing. That's the other thing. People are not going to read every single word on your site. Make sure the words that you include are worth reading. Don't have any throwaway sentences. You know, every, every word, every line serves a purpose. That way, if that's the only one that they read, they're still getting to know who you are and what you're going to do for them. That's, you know, I pulled up the site while you were talking and he does this extremely effectively. Right. Um, It's really cool. So I'm scrolling through and I'm seeing, I mean, you talk about using different font or different font size. And I mean, the first actual text besides the kind of the navigation and, and logo really I mean, the, the, we're talking about like 60 point font that says yeah. <laughs> hello and, and introduces himself. And then you scroll down to the next thing and it's just a few, a few words. Um, so it doesn't uh-huh. take a lot of time to read. You could literally scroll very quickly and be reading it as you go. There's an image to go along with it. Um, and then he does mix it up a little bit. He has a little bit more text, smaller text, uh, but an image to go along with it, as you pointed out. This is a really interesting example. Okay, we'll link to this in the show notes as well. And that's why I usually use this example because it's not technically like the best use of space or the best design, but people will read it and it's really interesting and it totally supports his brand. Huh. Okay. It's not the typical, like, I don't know. I feel like we've all kind of gotten to a habit of designing sites that all look the same. And I just love that this one is so different. Yeah, that's a great example of, of really, it's the visual component, I think, that's so huge. And he does that with text, less text, larger font, and imagery to go along with it. I think that's a really, really great example. What would you say, though, at the same time, a lot of people might argue that are, you know, they've worked their butt off to improve SEO for their site. We've seen a lot of benefit at Photographer's Edit, for example, just in organic Google search that are driving clients our direction. And thanks to uh, Karen Julia, actually, who we just had on the podcast recently, who's done some work for us and, and other work that we've done over time. We've had a lot of benefit from SEO. And a lot of that comes from the amount of text on our site. So how do we balance that effort at improving our SEO? and not being verbose. I feel like not everyone's going to agree with me okay. <laughs> with this answer, but that's okay. I'm not for everyone. Sure. I, I personally think that it entirely depends on where you're at in your business. If you rank decently high on Google for keywords that you've chosen and that you're trying to shoot for, then I would make SEO a priority. But the reality is that most of my clients at least aren't even close to ranking for popular Google searches in their market. I mean, not even, I mean, they're on like the 20th page and because a lot of my clients are getting referrals from word of mouth, from past clients, relationships with vendors, being active in Facebook groups or using Facebook ads really well, kicking butt on Pinterest or Instagram or having a storefront on the knot. Like that's just scratching the surface of ways you get inquiries. I think the reality is that there's so many ways to market yourself now. So if SEO isn't doing anything for you, then I wouldn't work too hard on it because there's a, there's a lot of work between 
page 10 and page one. Yeah, that's true. And those sites that do rank highly, first of all, good for them because it's a lot of work and it's a lot of attention to detail, but they read like they rank highly. (laughs) You know, it, it often SEO does not sound like a person. It sounds like you're talking to a search engine. And so I, if I were a wedding photographer trying to get more leads, I would take an honest look at my lead sources. If Google is one of them, then go for it. Like obviously your market, it's not affecting them having, you know, Pennsylvania wedding photographer in the first line of text on your site. But if you've never had an inquiry from Google, then I would look at other avenues of marketing and make your site sound like a person. And I, you had Cherie uh, Davenport on your podcast and her Pinterest technique is so mind blowing. It's insane to me. And it's, legit at getting traffic to your yeah. site. I was confused. Like I, I didn't know Pinterest was a thing the way that, right? that she's made it a thing. And it was incredible. Oh, it's a thing. Yeah. yeah. And so just, that's just one example of so many different ways you can drive traffic to your site. And I don't know. I think that's, I don't want to say controversial, like I'm not solving the world's problems, but I'm just saying, <laughs> I think a lot of people put a lot of stake in SEO when in fact, they're not getting leads from there. So why focus so much on it? You know what I mean? No, I totally do. And and I have to just give context to our conversation. We had Shree back on episode 270. So if you all haven't heard episode 270 yet, we'll link to that in the show notes. Make sure you listen in. It is a really interesting conversation. But I, I really like the direction that you're going here, Rachel, because... Uh, I tend to to like to go the go with the eighty twenty principle, right? So right. focus on that twenty percent that's driving eighty percent of the results. Exactly. And this goes back to the earlier conversation about the significance of actually using data. I don't know how many photographers can actually, if I ask them the question, what percentage of your business are you getting from Google? What percentage of your business are you getting from social media? What percentage of your business are you getting from word of mouth? They couldn't break that down for me. And um, it, it's actually not that difficult to collect that data. Right, right. Using a very you should be able to collect it from your emails. Ex- emails, a simple questionnaire on the site when they send you a contact right. uh, or fill out your contact form or whatever it is, make it as personal as you want, but get the information and start to track that data. And then you can make an intelligent decision about where you focus your time. I know personally that at Photographer's Edit, for example, roughly 24, 25% of our new accounts come from Google and not from AdWords because we haven't had great success there, but specifically mm-hmm. from organic Google search. But then I also know that about 46, 47% of our new business comes from photographer referrals. So these are mm-hmm. the two biggest chunks uh, or sources, if you will, of new business. And we can structure our marketing efforts accordingly. Absolutely. And if you are somebody who gets referrals, yeah. then so much of your efforts should be based on fostering that relationship. I get so many word of mouth referrals for copywriting. So you know what I do? I email my past clients and I say, Hey, what can I help you with this week? How can I, are you, is there any piece of copy on your site or in your inquiry response that you're struggling with? Send it over to me. I'll edit it really quick because not only is that just me being a kind person, but it also just reminds them that I exist. That's a great point, though, and and um, not to kind of play me too here, but we actually in the last year or so hired somebody, Tiffany, actually, mm-hmm. who whose job, whose primary role, we hired her on to focus on customer experience because we knew that those photographer referrals were such a big deal to our business and the growth of our business. So we could put all this effort and time and energy and money and so forth into Facebook ads, for example, mm-hmm. which again, just for, for an example, right now, about 14% of our new business comes from 
from Facebook. We're like, okay, we have 46% from photographer referrals, but 14% from Facebook. Let's spend less money here. Let's spend more money and have somebody, an an additional person to our team come on board and focus on proactive outreach and making sure exactly what you're just saying, Rachel, making sure that our clients are being taken care of. First-time users, ongoing power users, having actual conversations with them, making sure that they don't have any questions, that issues are addressed. And um, that has made, that has played a significant role in the ongoing development of our business. But we can't do that intelligently. And it would be really stupid of us actually to spend the money to have an additional resource if we can't point to data that drives that decision. So it's important to understand where our business comes from. This is really cool. Okay, so let's make it really practical for our users. What are, we share some ways that photographers can cull the copy for, and I'm going to just for fun here, use a little bit of alliteration, (laughs) call their copy for killer conversion. I I, love it. I love it. (laughs) There's a few things that come up with almost every single client that I work with. So I will give you a rundown of those. Okay, cool. I see really often that people don't use calls to action. You know, Uh, they, they very subtly link a word to their contact page, but you want that to be a button. Like you cannot call people to your contact page too much. It's totally okay to put those buttons everywhere. Don't be afraid to tell people to click, to book you, how to hire you. Because if you don't tell them, they're not, they're not going to go looking for it. It's got to be obvious. And can you give examples of what a a CTA, like what that button would look like? What kind of text is on, on that button? I mean, it totally depends on your brand voice. Like I've had people use like get that money, (laughs) you know, like depending (laughs) on what their brand voice is, but you can say, let's chat, let's talk, let's meet up, want to see how this works, you know, or you can just say book me. It can be, it should obviously fall in line with the rest of your brand voice, but it Mm. should be some type of question or statement that directs people to your contact page. Okay. So it's a call to action, a CTA, make sure that you're not just talking about the food that you like to eat, but actually ask them to do something. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Okay. What's another one? Don't expect your photos to do the talking. I think as photographers, we get a little bit precious about our work because we know what makes it different. Um, But your words literally have to explain it because I can tell you what makes your photos different because I'm a photographer myself, but most clients would never be able to articulate what it is they like about your photos. They would just be like, I just think they're pretty. You know, how many clients have you had when you were a wedding photographer where people loved your stuff, but they wouldn't be able to tell you why. So uh, this is interesting to me because when I think about writing less copy, I'm thinking about image driven websites. So to kind of similar question from earlier, what's the balance between like, I, I like a really visually driven minimalist website personally. Right. We ended up adding a lot more text at, at Photographer's Edit, for example, because of the significance of SEO and what that has done for our business. But mm-hmm. I, I was even saying the other day to one or two of our team members, I was like, man, it's getting really busy. I right. like the visually driven websites with a little bit of con- or text to kind of back up the, the images. What are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Well, most clients, like I said, won't be able to articulate what it is they like about your photos, but they'll be able to tell you exactly how your site made them feel hmm. or what their experience of communicating with you was like. Okay. So don't sit there and type, you know, my photos are moody with a touch of grace. Like, <laughs> I don't think that that's doing anybody <laughs> any favors. Okay. But I do think that making it clear how the experience of working with you is different is exactly what's going to sell them. So your photos will talk for you to a point, but I hate 
like, I know why you are a magical special unicorn in your photography talent. But if I put you next to, I could probably find three other sites that are pretty similar photo wise, you know, and skill wise, there's enough of us now that we're all not all on the same playing field, but there's, there's certain people that are all at the same level and I can find them. So let your words sell you. And those words should be based on experience. Also, I think this is where your past clients can do the talking for you. Add testimonials everywhere to your site. People will trust you way more if other people have loved working with you. So I don't think it's a bad thing to just sprinkle them on every page. They don't need to be huge. They don't need to be obvious. But I always recommend have a graphic that you can throw testimonials into so it's the same so people will get used to seeing it on your page and it's just another confirmation of like reassuring them that you know what you're doing and other people like working with you so i have a question about this because the cynic in me is like it's so easy for somebody to just write some copy and make it sound like you've got a testimonial from a client and put it up there with a stock photo i Mm -hmm. i I know that's very cynical but what's what's the balance between looking like somebody is trying too hard to sell themselves by putting some some nice words up on the site and like what's the chance that somebody actually reads that and takes it genuinely i mean there's cynics but there's going to be like there's going to be somebody that doesn't like your site okay that's not who you're going after right. also you're trying to sell yourself like that is the whole point of your website Fair to enough. sell yourself okay so i don't i think having any type of trepidation about sales is why you're not booking, not you, but like is why someone isn't booking clients. Sure. If you are afraid of the sale, then it's not going to come (laughs) because I just think that, yeah, you, there are going to be cynics that read that and they're like, yeah, but that could be from everybody, but that's fine. The rest of your site can do its job then. I don't think, I don't think somebody would come and look at a testimonial and say, that's a reason not to hire someone. (laughs) That's fair. Okay. That's, that's good. All right. So the first was create calls to action on your site. And by the way, if if, if you all listening in want examples of this, a little shameless plug here, if you go to photographersedit.com, you'll see some examples of how we've done this there as well. And and this was honestly something that we needed to, to learn. We made this change within the last, I don't know, year, year and a half or so maybe, but some examples, create an account, schedule a consultation, Mm-hmm. Get started now. These are a few examples that I see on the, the homepage of our site, and you can see those there. But put calls to action on your website. That's number one. Number two, don't expect your photos to do the talking. And, uh, of course, we have wonderful resources like Rachel to help us with a copy that will actually do the talking. Mm-hmm. What's another idea? I challenge my clients to read everything out loud. If it feels clunky on your tongue, then okay. it's going to be clunky in someone else's head. Ah. So I think that in this industry especially, everything needs to be as conversational as possible. Okay. Specifically because if you think about as a wedding photographer or even a family photographer that's going to be around for an hour or two, you're going to be having conversations that whole time. You know, I, a lot of wedding photographers say this to me in the interview process when I'm writing their copy, but oftentimes the couple spends more time with the wedding photographer than they do with each other on their wedding day. So I think it's really important to be likable and to be conversational. So if you can't read it out loud smoothly, then it's probably not conversational enough. And, and But I think about conversational again. And, and as I mentioned earlier, I try to do that with the podcast episode. And even today, I'm like, oh, you're saying too much. Cut back a little bit. How do you balance <laughs> the the being conversational with not saying too much. I mean, it's reading out loud. It seems like it would help even bring shed light on being too wordy, but what are your thoughts? Absolutely. Okay. I think reading out loud is 
like the largest help and just the smallest thing. It's the smallest step. It takes seconds, but sitting there on your website and reading every word out loud is going to show you, Oh, that sounds awkward. Like that doesn't. And I would never say that. That's another thing. If you have something on your site that you would never say, then as soon as you say it out loud, you're going to be able to identify it. So also think about some of the best conversations you've ever had weren't long. They were sentences that someone said that were really, that really hit home. Yeah. I think about that. I think about emotion. Like if, if I see somebody I haven't seen in a while, for example, there's, there are more exclamations and mm-hmm. uh, communication of excitement in one form or another. Can you do that effectively with, with text? I mean, I warn against exclamation points. I always try to edit them out of my own writing. Really? Okay. Because I naturally want to appear very excited and very happy. <laughs> but if there's seven exclamation points in an email, yeah. you sound like a middle schooler. So oh, that's wanna, totally me. <laughs> yeah, you want to go back through and edit those out. Okay. I make that joke all the time. Like you sound like a middle school girl when you have that many exclamation points. And I do it too. It's a natural consequence, I think, of wanting to come across well in text. But don't use an exclamation point because you didn't communicate emotion effectively with the actual words that you're using. Ah, okay. You know, if it needs an exclamation point, you probably didn't write it very well. Huh. All right. Guilty as charged. I will... <laughs> This, this is really actually just a list for me. This is good. All right. Any other big ideas to share with our listeners? Yeah. Don't write a single word that is not true. Hmm. I think your website is both your initial handshake with potential clients and your first verbal contract. You will not convert anything ever if you, because you asked about conversion. And I don't think you're going to convert anything if you don't deliver on the promises you make on your website. So if you say on your website, you know, that you're lightning fast at responding and then you take a full week to get back to them, like you totally lost them. You don't write something emotional and poetic if you're not an emotional and poetic person. And this is like my cardinal offense. Please, please don't write super lighthearted or fun copy if you are not those things in person. Yeah. You are setting yourself up for failure at every turn and your clients up for disappointment if you don't give a truthful first impression on your site. Because I think like this is where marketing can feel salesy to me. Okay. You know, I am selling someone's service when I write their site. I am and themselves. I'm not selling a product. So when someone comes to me like, I really want something fun, and I'm like, we've been talking for an hour. You are not funny. There's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) There is nothing wrong with not being funny. I know a lot of people that I love that are not funny. But the last thing I want to do is write a website that doesn't sound like you. Because you know what? You're like couple is going to spend eight hours with you and they're not going to laugh. And they're going to be like, what was that? You know, you just, it, it's going to go so well for you. If you just get real about who you are in your deepest core and then communicate that on your site rather than trying to be someone you're not. That's good. That's really, really good. Yeah. I I think about that with the, the the consistency in which I interact with and the way in which I interact with those who are coming on the podcast versus the way that I talk with my kids or mm-hmm. with my significant other, or, or I do want to carry a consistency in that. Cause I, ultimately I like to bring energy to conversation, but if I'm, if I'm bringing that to the podcast conversation, I'm not bringing that to my kids. I'm like, Oh, why, why the, right, the consistency right. isn't a good thing. So I, I, I take what you're, what you're saying there. This has been a really helpful, very practical conversation. I like what you're bringing to light as far as copy on website for photographers 
And um, really, we should make sure that our listeners know where they can find you so they can come get your advice and your help, your professional help. Can you share with them one more time where they can find you both online and on social media? Yeah, I am most active on Instagram. Um, that's just at Green Chair Stories. And then my website, too, is greenchairstories.com. So that, those are the two places you can find me easiest. Perfect. We will link to these in the show notes. For those of you listening in, Boca, B-O-K-E-H, podcast.com. That's where you're going to find the show notes and the detailed show notes at that. Resources, URLs, outlines, talking points, all there, bocapodcast.com. We'll link to Rachel's website and Instagram there. Thank you again, Rachel, for making time for all of us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com.